0: Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast, featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He's the man who has read well over half a million brain scans, and Dr. Marie Swingle, author of iMinds. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you.
1: Morning.
0: Morning.
1: Let me get myself in
2: the picture. Here we go. Hello, Are you a fine morning? Uh, oh, let me get my picture on here. Well, hello. doing fine. Uh, my co-host is on my lap sleeping here, so I hope that lasts for the hour. So. <laughs> hey, everyone. hello, hello, hello.
3: Nice to see you all, and I'm so delighted to get to. Um, Share the screen with you, Jake Unklemann, because I've I watched the movie about you. I've heard you speak, and I've never been this close. So I so
2: so I have to apologize already. <laughs> 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 um, uh, I, I'm I'm happy to meet you uh, more face to face, even though it's uh, uh, kind of the artificial. Just an
1: illusion. (laughs) It's it's
2: not quite like being able to give a high five or something, you know? So
3: Right. Bruce, welcome back. Delighted when you put in the email that I was your buddy. I thought, oh wow, you called me your buddy. (laughs) You're back.
0: We're all buds here. (laughs) (laughs) The inner circle of neuroscience <laughs> the ringleader brain brainwave
2: buddy here <laughs> so well i think actually the documentary uh, did 36 hours of video uh, and then put it down into two hours and wow.
4: um
2: oh. I, I was pleased with the outcome i you know when editors could make me look like the class clown or the hero i mean and and you never know, <laughs> you know, 36 hours, they could have, you know, th- th- they have uh, a reel of men crying, you know, <laughs> um, that they didn't, you know, the, all that's edited out. Uh, there's, So they could have edited it up in a way that had a totally different story, you know.
1: Well, now you yeah. have us curious. What got got you all crying?
2: Uh, uh, well, I think they were talking about me passing. And uh-huh. that section of it is, uh, not my favorite part. Um,
4: really? But, you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's. No, it's yeah, more. <laughs> it, you Sorry, know, I'm uh, in an impy mood this morning. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't
2: have uh, as morbid a, a feel as it could have had. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, um, the, the irony, I think, is, is that Joe Castellano uh, talked about the possibility of me passing and that we all have. A, a little bit of time that we know, uh, and then poof, he's gone, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. um, it, uh, it, 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 emphasizes how ephemeral all of this really is. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. It's so take we're care
1: all- of your brain, take care of your real life relationships <laughs> while we're all here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so, so Ruth and Mari, are you guys going to make Jay and I uncomfortable again? I hope so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, all jokes Good aside, luck. <laughs> you know, jokes aside, I'm really, really um happy that you're I don't want to say brave enough, that's patronizing, but you know that that people are approaching uh are broaching this subject. I mean we need to talk about it more. Um there was you know there's a yeah. new um AI dating sites now. I mean it's just and males are far, far more susceptible to being drawn in. Um, but what are those little duck decoys? You know, it's the mallards that go to it, not the, not the, um, the, the male ducks, not the, the, the female ducks. Um, and we're really, really losing our young men. Um, you know, it's an issue of all ages, but I'm very, very concerned about, um, younger males. Um, Maybe you want to talk about sexual development in terms of a brain. Uh, it's not a hormonal thing per se, but you know, maybe you want to yip-yap a little bit about that. But, you know, once the brain is wired to be satisfied um, by essentially false interactions, non-human interactions, there's no chance for pair bonding. There's no chance for, I mean, I talked last time about what I call juvenile erectile dysfunction. Who the heck ever thought we'd have an issue with that, you know? 19-year-old males with ED? Come on, tad
3: And also all the dysregulations of trauma and attachment trauma.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: You know, your body is not working the way it's supposed to. And that, what I feel really concerned about, this big number of, like, Me Too, abuse, um, mistreatment of people, because I think the dysregulation causes loss of control and between the lack of information and the loss of control and what you're describing, which is this overstimulation, Mm -hmm. uh, you've got these men, these young men, and then they grow up into older men and they don't know what they're doing or they can't aren't controlling themselves it really concerns me mm-hmm.
1: well I'm, I'm going to jump in there because we, we have a bit of a polarized um situation here uh naomi wolf wrote about this years and years ago you know when we had the pornographic cinemas coming out and you know all males were going to be turning into these extreme predator uh, predators it actually had the opposite effect Okay, Um, essentially, you know, turning uh, people into masturbatory eunuchs, you know, Um, so no natural pursuit. And then, of course, we have the absolute opposite extreme, which what's going on uh, in terms of the type of porn we have now. There's no such thing as soft, soft porn anymore, and you know, what young males when they're first exposed to this type of pornography, their assumptions of what uh, potential partners and what intimate relationships should be is aggressive. If not downright hurtful um, and not just predatory uh, harmful, so you know how do we and then and then you get sex ed in the in the school where you know you just have a bunch of awkward people talking about ovaries and penises and things like this, you know so where where do youth get correct information from? where can youth healthily, healthily explore? Uh, sexuality you know i t- you know parents should have an ick factor you know thinking about their kids sexuality that's natural but on the other hand um you want your children to develop into healthy sexual individuals you know we- we've got a void out there um and then you have two middle aged women yapping online about this <laughs> you know, so.
3: and you add to that attachment trauma which is the not being able to tolerate mm-hmm. real intimacy yeah. and like a perfect storm. One thing that's also been really interesting historically and troubling is that the kind of sex education that's, in, that's available in schools very, very much correlates to what kind of government we have at a given yeah. time. And yeah. if you look at the history, of governments and sex education. It's very interesting. Yeah. We, get a, we get one government that, that that is very conservative and they want, you know, um, abstinence only, sex after marriage, so you don't learn anything. And then you've got someone, you know, who's more liberal in the, in the White House like Obama. And so then you've got another kind of sex education in the schools, and it really varies according to the political.
1: Children don't change. Children are a constant. So we're really dealing with, you know, confused individuals. I mean, this is the, I always talk about the healthy middle. Why do we as a society have so much trouble finding the, the healthy middle? I mean, we all know in an extremely conservative society, um, abstinence does not work. We are sexual uh, beings. In fact, pushing abstinence can be extremely harmful. If you look at um, the... Well, there there are many expressions, and all of us who are therapists know, the more restrictive the culture, the more deviant the deviance. So you have to be really careful about that factor. Um, But also, you know, when you look at uh, religious cultures are the absolute obvious. You know, when you really, really make um, any thought or sexual process a sin, boy, oh boy, do you get uh, unhappy people and extreme deviance. you know, even uh, pedophilia. So yeah, if anybody listening out here, find that middle, find that middle.
3: Yeah, and I think part of what I what I'm really very adamant about is teaching, certainly therapists, parents, mm-hmm. everyone, to be more willing to talk candidly about sex. Yeah. Because no one talks about it; it's still so taboo. Mm-hmm. So. Doctors don't talk to their patients. Psychiatrists don't say, you take Prozac and it's going to knock out your, you know, yeah. chemotherapy, um, high blood pressure medication, yeah. surgeries, all these things. People are not warned about what's going to happen to them sexually. Yeah. So it doesn't get talked about. So people think they're not supposed to ask. They think they're supposed to know, so they do what they think of as research, which is go on the internet where you can find anything and everything under the sun. And there's no one's talking explicitly, candidly, and really informatively about sex. So we're titillated everywhere we turn, but there's no information. So people are... You know, very stimulated and don't have any sort of good understanding of what are we supposed to do with this energy, especially yeah. young boys.
1: Yeah, well, the good news is I do. <laughs> and I, you know, I think the more we talk about it on these public forums, I think, um, therapists are really coming to realize that this is part of what they they need to do but ruth thank you so much for bringing up the meds i mean i think it's absolutely absurd and maybe we're going to be able to push jay's button here wind him up wind him up wind him up but um no in terms of the the side the sexual side effects um you know you have a depressed female so you give her a very specific med that takes away her libido and makes her fat Oh, that's really going to take care of depression. You know, same thing, you know, classic time to prescribe meds or certain antidepressants tend to be during andropose and perimenopause. Okay, these are times where sexuality is changing, right, for both males and females. So you have a naturally aging male. Who's dealing with naturally aging parts of his anatomy, um, you know, penis included and and penile functionality or sexual functionality. And then you throw it on a med that just literally and figuratively makes everything collapse. You know, why uh, don't um, psychiatrists, psychologists really chat? About um the positives and the negatives, you know we talk about everything else you know in all of our consent forms, risk benefit analysis, we go over all of this except sexual function. why folks why
3: absolutely, absolutely, and even couples therapists
4: mm-hmm.
3: I have people coming in for couples therapy that have been in couples therapy several times before and no one ever talked about sex to them. So, <laughs> as a sex thing,
1: That has to be the third question, if not the first question in couples therapy.
3: They don't talk about it because they think, oh, well, if you're not talking about it, I guess I'm not supposed to. Or it's natural, so we're supposed to just know. And so people have all the misconceptions about sex. And I'm so amazed. People don't know this. I see so many couples, long-term monogamous, if you will, couples who haven't had sex with each other or anybody else in years, years. And I've had many men who are in their 50s, usually men who um, at a certain point, They kind of hit the wall in their early 50s because they're afraid their window's going to close and their whole life's going to pass by without having had a satisfying sexual relationship and they've been married for, you know, 20 years and now they want to get sex going with their partner. Nobody's talked about it all that time. I think that's magic. It's so lonely for people too.
1: Yeah, yeah. The Another one that we often don't talk about, I think, you know, maybe today we'll see it a lot of issues and maybe, I don't know, Pete and Jay in a future show, pick a few to go in detail. Uh, but another one, you know, we have a lot of sexual stereotypes in terms of females uh, using sex as a power dynamic in relationships um, and individuals who do get into the the important aspect of pairs pair bonding and power relationships in pairs um males uh, play this i I don't want to say game but for lack of a better word a sexual power dynamics are very much wielded by males as well
0: i didn't know we had any power (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> no what i'm getting okay maybe i should be a little bit more yeah. direct is in terms of uh um uh, sex refusal yeah i guess that that's the best way to put it is sex refusal we have this stereotype that females are um Uh, Refusing or not in the mood, getting headaches, et cetera, et cetera, Um, or restricting sex as a power move, like I'll do this if you do that, or I won't have sex with you unless you do this or that, Uh, whether it's behavioral or attitudinal or what have you. Um, But I would say it's pretty much well even. Uh, Ruth, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, and and it's one of the the hugest stereotypes that remains that that females wield this. It's it's equal.
0: It's not good for our population. Is there culturally? Is there any uh, comparison to like Japan? It's an aging population, <laughs> and and in the United States we're having less kids. Uh, do you see any?
1: Well, I'm going to jump in. I'm really not worried about the world population, okay? You know, we we, we need to have fewer children. Um, But in terms of the, you know, for those of us that are here, whether we choose to have children or not, um, you want healthy relationships with the people that you bond with. Um, And I can go on and on about Japan. I mean, Japan was one of the first countries to fall uh, in terms of uh, young males and pornography um, and prostitution you know of all, all the you know whether it's the massage parlors or the soap parlors or you know all these 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 very very <clears throat> almost like childlike um expressions of 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 sexuality um and robots yeah all the robots and you know the mini wives in the in the containers you know um and you know these young males marry them and they're satisfied by them um and they they feel they're much much better than real women because real women are so much more complicated <laughs> if i can swear no shit <laughs> I, I <laughs> human beings are
0: <laughs> so does it start with the schools because education has to come in somewhere and and as ruth said you know depending on the politics of it but
1: it starts but- with bringing down the freaking taboo Right, well, um, I, and I, I don't. I th- it, I think it became an issue of the schools because it was a taboo, and we were trying to. We didn't want all those teenage pregnancies and all of that, but I, I think this belongs in the family. Um, and then, if you if you're not dealing with it well in the family, I think the school should be a backup. Ruth, what are your thoughts on that?
3: I think that the in very very early in the family, and some of it has to do with how disconnected people are in families that Mm -hmm. talk about things and they don't really connect with each other, you know, right from the beginning. So we've got all these attachment disorders and attachment trauma, and then they get a little older and there's no information in the school's and there's probably exposure in the locker room and the dirty jokes, and then they start discovering porn. So, whatever little bit of exposure they start to get very often is in the wrong places. And meanwhile, their bodies are starting to secrete all these wild hormones that they don't know what to do with the energy. And so, you've got a lot of problems developing at the same time so i think the parents don't so many parents don't say much of anything to kids about sex and i don't know about you but when you when you ask clients if anyone ever talked to them about sex when they were growing up in their families certainly no one ever talked to me and I think most kids Now there's a little bit more sort of liberalism, certainly in some areas, but most places really not. And there's once again, this sort of swinging of the political tides and depending on religion. But I think the confluence between your body starting to develop all these energies The lack of information, the overstimulation, and then what we're what the kids are taught in school is basically how babies are made.
1: Yeah, another thing I want to bring up is yeah,
2: school school stuff is all two dimensional sex ed, you know, Uh Uh, the the, the little line drawings and uh, no perspective, uh, and, and and no real deep discussion. And it is basically just the biology uh, functional uh, but no relational uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of this actually has um, a a rising tide underneath it. And and that rising tide is basically increased estrogen in the environment uh, so that young girls are maturing at a much younger age than they had historically. And the 1950s testosterone normal levels that used to be lab normals aren't normal anymore. Uh, The 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 testosterone uh, uh, level and uh, the the um, uh, the the level of uh, sperm production has dropped uh, precipitously in males. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's uh, 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 there's biological shifts that are probably environmental hormonal uh chemical uh, it, uh th- that's that's interacting with all of this social stuff that we're discussing
4: yeah
2: and uh, um, it, it's not um it, it's not a healthy change mm-hmm. um uh, quite unfortunately there there's quite a few cancers for instance that respond aggressively to hormones uh, neuroendocrine and and, and obviously uh, breast cancer and uh, uh, so forth. So mm-hmm. um, uh, the 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 shifting in hormones that underlying all of the discussion we have about our relational uh, uh, interactions also are uh, shifting our underlying health uh, conditions as well. And it's you know um, uh, the you. <laughs> you, you can't get an AI partner uh, for your cancer, you know. So uh, uh, that these are not uh, these are not healthy changes. And I, I have to say, we've we've had a, a disproportionate amount of discussion from the, uh, the females in the group, and uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm I'm not doing a terribly good job of balancing it out. Uh, I, I'm, I'm talking background chemistry and things like that, rather than that's, part of,
1: it. that's part of it. So go on. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I,
2: uh, to, to a certain extent, I'm not a great person to s- discuss relational stuff. I've, I've got too many exes, you know? <laughs> uh, so although, uh, uh, other than one who's died, the rest of them aren't particularly upset with me. So mm-hmm. I, I guess that that's about as good as I can say. And, and, uh, uh my my current partner and i are together 18 years and um and and happy with that so uh, i i guess it's been a total disaster relationally
4: but um uh, but
2: i but i do have a wake effect behind me so uh, i'm i'm not the i'm not the one to ask for advice mm.
1: Well, I mean, we're talking about a few different things. I mean, we're talking about sex. We're talking about sexuality. We're talking about pair bonding. We're talking about relationships. And and Ruth has, has brought in um, uh, attachment as well. I mean, all of these things are are weaved together, but they can also be rather independent. Yeah. I want to take
3: more uh, feedback because I'm curious about, you know, those of you who have experience working with, neurofeedback with any kind of sexual difficulties I don't have a lot but I have um, because I was thinking about this couple that I was seeing some years ago and um, they um, she complained or he complained about her having low desire and she didn't feel enough um, desire herself and also he he was very, very interested in feet. So he was very kind of preoccupied with her feet, which didn't necessarily turn her on as much as it turned him on. But anyway, um, we reached a certain point in the couple's work where it seemed like we were sort of hovering at kind of an impasse or slow progress. So I started doing neurofeedback with them, which was really interesting. We just started taking their session. I, I do ninety minute sessions with couples and I split it in half and we use um, well, we'd split it in three. We'd use one third for to do neurofeedback with him, one third with her, and then we'd get we'd use the other thirty minutes for you know therapy and interestingly it really brought up her desire level and i just worked with somebody suggested just pz and so i worked with pz and um kind of raising her um you know raising her numbers in that in that um you know area and i'm curious about any experience that you might have or that you might suggest to about um, neurofeedback for different kinds of sexual dysregulations or low desire or too much desire? Um, what experience or just thoughts you have about that? Because I'm always interested in that.
2: Yeah, To the extent that you're working at PZ, you're probably helping their default mode network wind them Their arousal, well, uh, arousal can mean a lot of different things when we're talking about sex here as well. So their center nervous system activation level down uh, so that they can actually get in themselves at a feeling level. So that's probably extremely helpful. Mm -hmm.
4: Uh, um,
2: The anterior cingulate ends up being present in obsessive uh, obsessive, uh, features.
4: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, But it's also present in anhedonia. Uh, the same spot Uh, Mm. when it's working it gives you cognitive and emotional flexibility when it's not working you can be locked on like an obsessive compulsive lock or you can be locked off a motivation lack of initiation and hedonia a kinetic mutism is the logical extreme so um uh, the anterior cingulate for those that have an obsessive uh, dysfunction in their relationship, you can count on the frontal midline as being a piece of the fix for them. Mm. And the, the difficulty is that it has three failure modes. In, in psychiatry, there's one kind of OCD, but there's three kinds neurophysiologically. You can have <laughs> alpha, you can have theta or slow, uh, or you can have beta. If it's not working right, you lose the flexibility. It cannot work right, whether it's alpha or theta or beta, it's not working in its normal flexible way, so you don't have the, uh, uh, the, the, the anterior cingulate's uh, uh, normal function. Uh, mm-hmm. The further forward you go on the anterior cingulate and it starts to tuck underneath the, genu, the subgenual aspect of it, that's the affective anterior cingulate, rostral and subgenual a cognitive obsessive compulsive is a little bit further back right underneath FZ. If you want to get to the affective division, you have to go a little further forward, FZ uh, or, uh, to, to get uh, uh, off of just the cognitive division into the affective division. But mm-hmm. the EEG will guide you on that. Um, you, you can see the, uh, the distribution of the content and, and whether it's more rostral or um, more, more uh, just at FZ. And we've actually had a uh, very good success, um, uh, breaking up somebody's obsessive compulsive, uh, uh, problem, uh, whether it's locked on to drugs, uh, or other things. I mean, the, the singular is quite, um, creatively flexible. If, if you, if you say no, 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 you can't be locked onto drugs. Oh, okay. Well, there's sex. There's six
4: drugs
2: drugs in rock and roll. The cingulate is absolutely flexible. If you take one away, it's got lots of fallback positions and you get symptom substitution. So unless you fix the problem, it'll just change the game on you and you've got to fix the problem. It's also an obsessive lock on things that can be problematic. If your anterior cingulate locks on to suicidality, uh, self-injury, things like that, you you can end up having um, problems from that. And if you don't fix the anterior cingulate, it's right under the surface as a compulsion. So um, the the anterior midline is important for uh, for all of this normal function, uh, but your work at the back of the head Drop the arousal well the central nervous system activation levels to keep the, the uh, discussion a little bit more clear on what arousal might be uh-huh. um uh, the 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 decreased activation of the central nervous system allowed the uh, arousal to occur uh-huh. and uh, that that's an important observation uh, that um the the higher the pressure uh, the less the nervous system can calm down so the you, you've got to balance uh things to end up having the right situation yeah and, if I have
1: to jump in here jay i think you're 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 onto something that i just want to put in into the couple uh scenario or the individual i mean i don't want to just stay within um A conservative notion here. Um, But what is the reason for the sex drive and the difference in the sex drive? So if we're talking about the occipital reason, you know, there are individuals who have a higher libido because they're into their partner. And there are individuals with a higher libido because this is the way they calm and quiet themselves. So sexual activity, um, it's more than just a drive with the the partner. Now, you have to be a little bit careful if somebody is in a couple's therapy for this because, uh, boy, oh, boy, if you want to open Pandora's box in terms of like, why do you want me? Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're an individual uh, therapy, this this is somewhere you can really go. You know, what part of the brain is driving your sexuality? Is there really healthy? um, uh, Again, we're going to play with arousal, you know, the over arousal in the back of the brain has a positive genital arousal or whether the over-arousal in the back of the brain is, has so much arousal that you need a genital release, right? Um, so really, really fascinating things when, when, when we get there. Um, but it can also have the opposite effect, <clears throat> excuse me, when people are really, really um, uh, hyper-aroused, in, in the back of the brain, that can be an anxiety feature that can turn a few things off. So it's it's so delicate. So you have to get to know your client. But if I were just to put all this in a box in terms of the neural components, <clears throat> Jay already um, mentioned the FCP, um, FP midline, uh, but depression, frontal lobes, classic um, arousal, sexual arousal killer or desire killer um as well as uh, back of the brain those are the yeah. two areas or three areas that i typically uh work on
0: so what what's the playbook to uh correct all this okay fix the uh porn addiction okay mm-hmm. so, <laughs> but it starts younger than that uh mm-hmm. uh well,
1: I think we have to deal with our cultural naivety. Okay, so, you know, R- Ruth was talking about some some of the pretty standard stuff of, you know, where children or young adolescents or older children, I would say, get exposed. She mentioned the locker room, you know, things like this. But I think we're dealing with a mass cultural naivety. Children, children, little children, they're discovering the pornography um, at approximately eight years old. Okay, you don't have to be a a parent to be absolutely creeped out by this. You know, if we talk about trauma, you know, kids walking in on their parents and the act, so to speak. But, you know, children getting that type of exposure and depending on whether they discover it by themselves (laughs) or whether a peer or an elder sibling is like, hey, Mm -hmm. come watch this. It's far, far, far far too young for that type of exposure. So the kids get their exposure somewhere between eight and 11. And then we take them into sex ed and show them stick fingers and and talk about gender. Uh, You know, whether you are in a female body or male, but like we we're just so political and naive. If we can take the politics out and take the naivety out, we can get somewhere
0: oh boy
1: i'm on a rant today
0: (laughs) (laughs) so so when does a parent talk to their kid about sex seven
3: yeah go ahead ruth because i take it back to the very beginning and i look at attachment and regulation the the way a child learns to calm down after getting hyper aroused is through the attachment and there's disrupted, insufficient, failure of attachment, that child is going to be sort of at sea trying to calm down their nervous system without help. So you get a dysregulated nervous system right from the very beginning. I mean, like in the cradle. And then you add to that, and this is something that, I just am so devastated by the attachment style that correlates to neglect, which is insufficient um, attention to the infant um, is the avoidant, which I hate that word. But, um, and very often what the attachment research tells us is the mother is repelled by the child's body. She doesn't want to touch her child. So that child grows up not only dysregulated, but starting out feeling physically rejected. So you've got a dysregulated nervous system and this what we call skin hunger before they even have cognition let alone autobiographical memory and that's the foundation that all this other stuff that you're describing starts to kind of sedimentary rock layer upon layer and so you by the time they're eight years old and they get to the locker room you've already got you know all kinds of Dysregulation, as well as psychological confusion about attachment and touch, going on this poor little kid. You throw in the high incidence of sexual abuse among children, and ugh, we've got we've got a big mess here.
1: I want to take it down a little bit of a level here, though, too, Ruth, which is, you know, you talk about how, uh, I mean, you were talking about mothers. I want to throw fathers in the loop here as well. But, you know, when a child uh, starts to discover their body, okay, you know, so when a child is in the bathtub and playing with their genitals, and I'm not just talking about male children, you know, female children, how does a parent respond? Okay. Um, Do they say nothing? okay do they say oh no don't touch yourself uh do they say oh that that's fine uh but you 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 should touch yourself when mommy isn't around okay like how do they respond to that or you know when they 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 find a you know a child rubbing themselves against a teddy bear same type of thing how do you parent that um, and there are all kinds of moments like this children are incredibly naive when they discover uh, the nerve endings in their genitals and they find them very very early um, it's not sexualized per se at that point they just notice there's a different Feeling, And there are all of these uh, points or all of these moments in childhood where I think parents can, uh, I I guess at that point, desexualize emergent sexuality, um, make self-touch safe and put appropriate boundaries against. I mean, one of the things that I coach is nothing wrong with it. Just bathroom or bedroom door closed. um, And, you know, this is between you and you, you and your body. Um, And if it's between anybody else, uh, let us know. Or if you're starting to feel like you want it between anybody else, let's talk.
3: Yeah. And Mari, that's such a good point. Because the parents aren't educated. Yeah. So the parents get really worried. I mean, I have heard the most horrible trauma stories about when a child, I have one client who told me that when she was, um, I don't know, six and she and her friend who was also six were playing, you know, kind of doctor kind of a game and walked in and completely terrorized them. The mother was so You know, ignorant and also prejudiced about, you know, same sex touch, that there was, and she was traumatized by this interaction. And what you're saying is so important that we need to teach parents that sexual, I mean, you know, genital play between same age kids is completely natural. There's nothing terrible about it. And Also, what you're saying, touching oneself, it's fine. Just don't do it in the wrong place. Um, Do it in front of other kids or, you know, we have to teach parents so that they don't get alarmed about anything even remotely genital or erotic as being pathological or dangerous or dirty or, you know, whatever else you know, the misconceptions are. And so your point is really well taken about parents needing to know what is, you know, what is completely natural. And, and the more-
1: community. I mean, I go into this, I, I have a little vignette in my book, and I've just the same that you were saying, absolute tragedy. Um, uh, t- you know, two little kids exploring themselves, and then one uh, one family accused the other family of having a budding predator. I mean, and these were just absolutely naive, innocent children. I mean, it just got horrendous, absolutely horrendous. You know, police got involved, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you know, we we joke about you know playing doctor and and all these type of things. I mean, if you if you put kids in in certain environments, they're go- they're going to explore each other. And I know in in yesteryear, people. We had this awareness, so they always made sure that they separated children. Right? The other thing, you know, we're 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 so political these days, but, um, you know a lot of first uh, sexual experiences i'm going to say in yesteryear uh were same sex not because people were gay or lesbian but it's that's just kind of where it occurred i, I, I you know i'm going to project a little bit on the the the, the folks that you talked about you know two little, two little girls exploring themselves they just just like hey this feels nice just like brushing each other's hair there's there's nothing um you know um i would say Uh, uh, gender orientation in those activities what so ever and i think that's
2: sensualized as opposed to sexualized
1: thank you thank you jay yeah yeah Mm -hmm. we do when we teach too early i would say about um gender and gender fluidity et cetera. i think we really confuse kids you know really confuse kids
3: and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area and there's so much almost fadism mm-hmm. about gender and people sort of suddenly turning, you know, into a they and describing, you know, themselves as some, you know, non binary gender, mostly at least in some cases, because it's kind of cool. Yeah. And lot of confusion, which is not to minimize how much and how real it can be. But I think certainly around here, there is, um, it's almost kind of a fad for kids to um, try on different identities. And well, I
1: think we should probably I don't know if people are game. I think if we should probably do a show on that and, and Pete, I think we should call it. Okay. Cancel us because um, if we really want to talk about this, we, we really, really need to talk about it without political fear of, of um, attack. Um, but Juth, you said fad. I, I would say we're absolutely confusing uh, sexual identities uh, with imposed cultural identities. There's a beautiful, a few people have done it, you know they talk about okay if if I could be paid twenty five percent more, if I could walk alone at night if i and it goes on and on and on it says yeah i I want to be a man, no, actually, I am a man because I can demand that you know, so you know we're we're completely crossing um. Yeah. Uh, sexuality with uh, cultural uh, repression of, of females. Again, if I if I were a 14-year-old female and could choose to be a male, good God, the advantages you have, right? So let's not confound those things. Nothing and to do with who you want to share your bed with.
3: I want to echo what you said about, you know, doing a show, you know, whatever we call it. I think that's a good idea.
1: Mm-hmm. So Sorry, I, the sunlight is coming in on me here. so. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I thought you were just starting to glow, you know. Ooh, a, yeah, this, on, the, the effects.
1: The effects. On you know, a the, roll, the sun you know. beams off the building across, <laughs> and it's
3: uh, yeah. But yeah. um, I was say I uh, want to what Mari said because I have a personal vendetta that I want to really help therapists begin beautiful. Now we can see your beautifulness. Um, <laughs> I want to help therapists have the courage and the gumption to talk about sex, bring it up, to name it, to inquire, to ask, to be educated enough ourselves that we educate. And so if we are willing to say, this show is going to be about, you know, blah, that um, we're beginning to model something. And in the neurofeedback community, I mean, I. Because I talk about it. I talk about it, but um, nobody talks about it in the neurofeedback community. At least in my in my community. So if we, oh, still, I don't I, know.
1: The last Susan, we were talking. I was going on and on about menstruation and ovulation, like you know, all of these things that um, you know we we don't um, talk about. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally. Let's let's do it.
3: We're <laughs> in the world and you know, say the words out loud and masturbate and whatever it is um, that therapists can start to kind of come out of their shame and say these words explicitly and model to clients that it's okay to How do you really feel? Am I upsetting the talk? Oh. Am I upsetting him, or is, is it? <laughs>
1: yeah. no, but I just—I—I I think. Uh, I, I, well, thank everybody. I, I like how you know clearly we're we're talking and putting in a little bit of humor and some some seriousness. I think it. Uh, I, I I taught very very briefly, master's level at a, a local university, and I was just absolutely shocked. At the naivety of the, or what was not being talked about in terms of what you need to know to work with people, and you know, some of the practicum students, I'm I was just astounded that you know, can't you see that you know the 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 the, the client is just having so much fun with you, making you extremely awkward, just to, you know, talking all about these paraphilias that I don't even think were true. They were just getting a kick out of freaking out the young. Um, practicum students but i also think that the you know the university sent them in horrendously unprepared you know is this taught at university surely not to the degree i mean i know uh that i didn't have anything at my ma or phd level i mean there was yeah natural human sexuality and then of course you know we talk about the paraphilias but we don't talk about the natural stuff the good stuff the the lovely variation we just go from vanilla to paraphilia there's a whole again tons of stuff in the middle
3: who determines what's paraphilia
1: bingo bingo yeah that's a
2: question Well, it wasn't until very recently that the EEG databases actually separated male and female.
4: Mm, Yeah.
2: And the dramatic differences during the developmental trajectory between male and female are identifiable now. Mm -hmm. And the 45 and older uh, dramatic difference between females having more gamma and beta and males going kind of, electrocerebrally silent on the higher frequencies, mm-hmm. so uh, the, you, you can't combine the two uh, into a unique database and, and expect that to be a reflection of reality. Mm-hmm. You, you have to have uh, uh, sex-specific uh, norms. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're, you know, if, if you've got lots of beta gamma in females and not much in males, and you're a female, and it. it, it, it it shows you uh, to, to be less than you, uh, you know, more than the norm. You you're perfectly normal for the female norm, but yeah. if you if you have the yeah. eunuch norm, you're you're running a bit high, and the mm-hmm. male is running a bit low. When in fact, compared to the male norms, they would be perfectly, you know, within the range of normal. So, uh, the um. It it wasn't easy. It took twice as much time to collect twice as many norms. You can't cut a database in half and have it be a database. You have to double the size in order to end up with two separate norms. So uh, the the Koreans were the first to do it. Um, The the uh, Swiss-Russian database uh, added more individuals in separate male and female, and also, see differences. So, it wasn't some odd thing that only male and females are different in Korea. No, so, um,
4: <laughs> that is was, so
2: interesting. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it, 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 bloody it, it, time. It's, it's, it's crucial that it was done. Now, there's actually been the, the Koreans supported a study, um, uh, as coming out of San Francisco. On uh, females trancing to male identity, and uh, they, uh, they they looked at their EEG to see whether they were um, more uh, male-like in their, were they more like the male norms or more like the female norms uh, as they as they uh, uh, did their trance. So, that uh, um, until you have separate databases, how could that study even be conceived? You know, so. Um, um, luckily, um, uh, the, the Koreans, um, I, it, it was my gut instinct because if you look at the structure of male and female brains, they are different. Um, males have a larger left hemisphere. We all swell with pride. Oh, we got a bigger left hemisphere, you know. But males have a spindly little corpus callosum, and the females have this well developed cross hemispheric connection. And we should have colossal envy, yeah. you know. That it, it's it, it's crazy to think of those structurally very different brains as having the same set of norms. Now there are male like females, there are female like males, um, uh, but um, uh, until we actually separated the databases, um, there, there wasn't really a way to show um, anybody being an outlier within their. Uh, gender. So, uh, anyway, I'm uh, I'm happy to see um, uh, the the databases move forward because um, the the researchers are being required to study male and female. You can't develop a drug only studying it on males anymore. It's um, yeah, oh, bloody looked,
1: time. Yeah. A oh, bloody time.
2: But it, having having separate norms for male and female allow us to study that in a scientific way that if you're using a, a UNIC database, you, you're, you know, you lose the ability to actually study that appropriately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a beautiful spin on that. You know, as you said, the UNIC database, UNIC development, you know, we just everything to do with gender and sexuality. <laughs> yeah.
3: Can I say one thing before we run out of time, because yeah. this, this is so great as far as I'm concerned, that if we are able to go forward with it, I think that having you know Jay come in and really give us all this brain EEG science alongside the sort of current socio-political attachment and even I don't know if the tech permits for this to have all in people asking questions could be really interesting. This is such wonderful material. I'm so delighted, and thank you so much for including me,
0: Ruth. It's our it's our pleasure. It's our honor. This you know, we get a lot of views when you come on the show. When you and M- Murray go go at, go at it, uh,
1: I'm not ranting by myself anymore. I have a partner in crime. <laughs> thank you,
0: Ruth. <laughs> do, do, Dr. Ruth. How do how do we uh, find out more about you?
3: About me? Yeah. What's your website? called ruthconemft.com. I write a blog every week, and you can get on the list and get the blogs. And I can't believe it that for two years, I have not missed a week. I have about almost 200 blogs on the site on all different topics. So, um, and... My my um my orientation is attachment and trauma, and my special area is neglect. But I'm a sex therapist and I'm a neurofeedback person, and I'm very interested in a lot of things. And I'm delighted to be your buddy and to be in your um, neuro noodle community. (laughs) So call me anytime. You're in the San Francisco area.
0: There you go. Right. Okay but it's cold right now.
2: And if I could travel, I would stop by for a visit, but uh, I'm not well enough to really, I I leave the house once a year for a three day party for my birthday and an EG meeting here in town. And other than that, I only leave the house to go to the pharmacy. So, um, and, and to a large extent, I just have stuff picked up by uh, Renita, but I, uh, I'm not well enough where I stopped stop by to to say hello. It's nice to meet you face face to face in 2D at least. So, Where do you live? Sassoon City, right just outside the Bay Area. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Fairfield is the closest town that people know about. Uh, Sassoon City is actually one of the 30 oldest uh, uh, communities in the United States. It was a it was a, a, a little spot you could get drained from the Central Valley onto a ship. And um, it, so it was an early shipping a uh, 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 long, long time ago. So, but Sassoon so, means west wind. It's a native uh, uh, in, uh, uh, word, and it uh, means west wind. And if you're in Sassoon, you'll pretty much always have a wind coming from the west. So,
3: One more quick question for all of you. Yes. <laughs> Do you like cheese?
4: Who doesn't like cheese?
3: I'm a home cheese maker, and uh-huh. the way I know how to say thank you is with cheese. So, <laughs> if you want some cheese, send me. <laughs> and Excellent. I very happily send you some cheese. All my cheeses are cultured with love.
2: Well, I'm an eater, and cheese is high on the list of things I eat. So uh, uh, that can, uh, that would be fabulous. You can
0: ask my wife. I'm a cutter of cheese.
3: And okay. a- <laughs> my address. All of you who like cheese, send me your postal address. I'll send you some homemade cheese you haven't had until.
0: All right, uh, we're, we're down. Plus, if anybody has any questions, they can uh, email Pete at Neuronoodle.com. We can read them on the air. Next time we, we bring uh, Dr. Ruth back on, uh, we can we can answer them all. We always have people asking us questions, Ruth. So we'll we'll be lo- well, locked and loaded next time.
3: Well Mari and I will keep ranting. <laughs> l-
0: Dr. Ruth, Dr. Mari, Jake Uncleman,
4: <laughs>
0: XXXX. <Another> great- <laughs> Another great podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. All right. The Neuronoodle podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you.